What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Will Clemente is the co-founder of Reflexivity Research. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin and why the price keeps going up, how much is related to the ETF speculation, what is going on with various metrics that he's paying attention to, and how we should anticipate the Bitcoin having next year, having an impact on the price. Will is one of the best Bitcoin analysts in the world. I always learn something when I talk to him, and today's conversation is no different. Make sure you pay attention, because Will is dropping knowledge all throughout this episode. Here is my conversation with Will Clemente. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Today's episode is brought to you by Trust and Will. I've gone through a number of different changes in my life over the last few years. I got married, I had a kid, and I had to start thinking about how could I ensure that my wife and my child would be okay if anything ever happened to me. That's where trust, wills, and estate planning come into play. Now, most people, what they do is they get introduced to a friend, an uncle, or someone in their local community. It tends to be someone who's really expensive, a lawyer, an accountant, or somebody who does estate planning, and they just simply are using a one-size-fits-all template And just telling you, pay me thousands of dollars and I'll use the same thing for you as the guy down the street. But that's not what Trust and Will does. They have a trusted online estate planning product that starts as low as $159, which allows you to now protect your legacy from the comfort of your own home. Get to leverage their excellent customer support available via phone, email, or chat. They have thousands of five-star reviews and a rating of excellent on Trustpilot. It takes most people 20 to 30 minutes to complete their estate plan with Trust and Will. And not only that, but if you go to trustandwill.com slash pomp, you'll get 10% off. Plus, you'll get free shipping of all your estate planning documents. So go to trustandwill.com slash pomp and make sure you get an estate plan in place. Whether it's for you or one of your loved ones, having a trust and or a will can literally be the difference between someone being taken care of and someone not. Go check them out today at trustandwill.com slash pomp. Today's episode is brought to you by BASE. BASE is making it their mission to bring a billion people on chain. What exactly is BASE? It's a layer two offering a seamless experience for both builders and users. With near zero gas fees and rapid transaction speeds, BASE is shaping the future of the on-chain world. BASE is a canvas for everyone with hundreds of apps in the ecosystem, whether you're an emerging creator, a seasoned developer, or someone exploring the on-chain space for the first time. BASE is designed to bring your ideas to life. So if you're looking for a platform where the future of on-chain is being built daily, BASE is your destination. Join in and make on-chain the next online. Learn more at BASE.org or follow along on Twitter at BuildOnBASE. Again, that's at BuildOnBASE to see cool things to do on-chain every single day. All right, guys, I've got Will here with me. Will, I thought a great place to start is Bitcoin dominance. It seems to just be exploding higher. Why is Bitcoin doing so well compared to everything else? Yeah, it's been very interesting to see this over uh, kind of the last couple of months. You know, just for context on what Bitcoin dominance is, 
This basically looks at the market capitalization of Bitcoin relative to the rest of the crypto market. Uh, so as you'll see in the chart here up on the screen, uh, basically over the last year, and especially over the last couple of months, we've seen a really aggressive move up in Bitcoin dominance. And so, you know, what does this implicate? Uh, it basically means that Bitcoin's shown a ton of kind of relative strength uh, to the rest of the crypto assets. And so, you know, why exactly is the case? Uh, you know, we've seen somewhat of a kind of general risk off environment outside of kind of, you know, the top, we'll call it five or 10 kind of large, large cap tech stocks in the equities market. I haven't seen a ton of kind of breadth across the board. Uh, and just in general, you know, some of the geopolitical uncertainty that we've recently seen, things like this, uh, you know, perhaps this is the most kind of bullish, uh, you know, environment for, for, you know, high risk assets. Uh, while at the same time, we've seen this kind of idiosyncratic bid around Bitcoin, uh, primarily uh, kind of due to some of the ETF expectations and, and kind of front running of that. Um, paired with some people kind of, you know, expecting a, a kind of a pivot point, perhaps, in kind of the macro world of, of rates kind of peaking out. Obviously, you know, it, it's yet to be seen as uh, whether we'll kind of see higher for longer. Uh, but it seems like we've kind of, you know, surpassed the kind of peak, uh, you know, velocity of, of rate hikes. And perhaps that's also led to some of this kind of relative uh, strength for Bitcoin. But, you know, I think just in general, uh, you know, how these kind of crypto native market cycles go is very similar to uh, inequities where you see kind of high, you know, high value, deep value. Uh, assets kind of you know leading the the charge off the lows and then over time you, you start to see that kind of liquidity disperse into you know higher risk you know far tail assets same thing in crypto so typically uh the way these kind of market cycles move is bitcoin kind of leads us uh, off of the lows you know these bear markets uh we then kind of see liquidity disperse into some of these like you know fat tail uh you know riskier assets and it's exactly what we saw in you know, the 2021 period uh 2017 as well and it seems like this is uh you know showing a very similar pattern as well where bitcoin's kind of shown a ton of relative strength and kind of led the market off the lows so not only has it led the market off the lows but now bitcoin has also reclaimed the 200 week and the 200 day moving average does that mean that the bear market's over and we're just up only into the bull market now or should we look at it some other way yeah so for people that kind of care more about the uh technical analysis uh, frameworks of kind of approaching bitcoin um, one of the best kind of moving averages to look at valuation for Bitcoin over the kind of long term uh, is the 200 week moving average. And so typically uh, the 200 week moving average has been kind of a level where Bitcoin's bottomed out historically. Uh, this bear market was a bit strange because Bitcoin kind of deviated for a couple months kind of below that level. Uh, so it had a lot of people questioning whether this time was quote unquote different. Uh, recently, we've finally seen that level kind of reclaimed pretty decisively, as well as uh, the 200 day moving average. Uh, and then lastly, I think also uh, one thing that's noteworthy from kind of a technical standpoint uh, is Bitcoin essentially traded in this, you know, 30 to 60K range throughout the entirety of 2021 into 2022. Uh, 30K was also the level uh, where we saw three arrows go down. Uh, so I think, you know, Bitcoin kind of reclaiming that is, is pretty significant, not only from a technical analysis standpoint, uh, but also just from the sense of, you know, now Bitcoin is kind of reclaimed price action. Uh, that, you know, was was uh, kind of came about because of the blow up of three arrows as well as Luna. Uh, and then lastly, of, of course, some of the some of the SBF stuff. Uh, I know Luna went down slightly higher than where we are today, but generally around the same area. Uh, but three arrows did go go down right around that that 30K level. So I think it's it's pretty significant just from a, uh, you know, kind of ideological standpoint as well as just kind of a technical analysis standpoint. If you were to survey the market, I think most people would say, hey, Bitcoin's price is going up because people are speculating on the ETF. Um, how do you think about the ETF and its implications or, or kind of impact on Bitcoin's price? And, and is it just if the ETF gets approved, Bitcoin goes up? Is it that simple or, or, or is there some other aspects to evaluate when it comes to the ETF? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think it really just largely depends on the time frame that you're looking at. 
Uh, I think in the short term, there's a high likelihood that the ETF approval itself is probably short term kind of sell the news event. That's just typically how these things seem to go in crypto. Uh, you have a large kind of front running of these things and the market sells off. Um, you know, given the kind of the aggression of the move that we've seen recently, you know, if this continues heading into the event, I think there's a higher likelihood the, the more aggressive of, of the rally into the event uh, is that there is probably going to be short term sell the news. Uh, but I think medium to long term, uh, you know, it's, it's incredibly positive. Uh, you know, there's a tremendous amount of capital allocators that just frankly can't get access to BTC uh, because of regulatory compliance reasons, or maybe they just don't feel comfortable, uh, you know, kind of holding their own keys or, or trusting a traditional, you know, crypto native kind of custodial service. Uh, and so I think this kind of unlocks the, you know, all of that capital that's that's potentially interested in allocating to Bitcoin, but can't or isn't uh, willing to kind of given kind of the current infrastructure that we have in the market. Uh, so Galaxy Digital actually re uh, recently released a report which showed that they're expecting about $35 billion, I believe, uh, of inflows within the first year and then something like $75 billion in the two to three years after. Uh, I think one thing that's that's noteworthy in terms of, you know, there's been a lot of market commentators that maybe have said, um, you know, the ETF isn't going to create demand. I think one thing that's worth uh, kind of keeping in mind is, uh, sure, the ETF itself is just a structured product. Um, you know, although it enables, you know, perhaps people, as, as I just described, to allocate to BTC that maybe couldn't before. Uh, I think the the kind of bigger the bigger piece is that, you know, you'll have uh, potentially BlackRock, Fidelity, some of these very large personal financial organizations that have some of, you know, kind of the largest, uh, you know, sales forces, you know, advisors um, and, you know, just like, uh, you know, people that are kind of discussing with uh, very high level, uh, you know, important people throughout the financial space, they're going to be essentially this kind of mass sales force for Bitcoin. We saw, you know, Larry Fink has now gone on t uh, television twice in the last couple of months, first time called uh, Bitcoin Digital Gold, this last time called uh, the recent crypto rally, quote unquote, flight to quality. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's just kind of a prelude to uh, what you're going to see throughout the entire organization of people trying to push uh, individuals to perhaps, you know, take half a percent or 1% of their portfolio and allocated to Bitcoin through this new vehicle uh, that they may potentially see approved. Uh, but, you know, when, you, when you're doing it at the scale of, of how large some of these, uh, you know, leading financial organizations in the entire world are, uh, you know, that, that could have some pretty uh, large implications for Bitcoin's price. Now, we've got the chart here of Bitcoin's price performance since the last cycle's all-time high. And it looks like uh, Bitcoin's performance since the 2021 high is generally tracking in the same way that we've seen other cycles track. Is it just the repeat of the cycle and having will come and price goes up? How, how do you think about this? Yeah, it's very interesting. This is a debate that's kind of taken place throughout the crypto community for a long time. Um, you know, are these kind of market cycles driven by the having? Uh, is it other things that are just kind of coincidental? I think the reality is uh, the kind of unboring, uh, non-sexy answers. It's probably a, a combination of each. Uh, I do think the having, you know, was extremely important early on. Uh, in terms of just kind of the impact on overall supply and demand, you know, I, I don't think it has a zero effect, but I think it's a, uh, you know, much more minimal effect relative to the prior couple halvings. So I think one way to kind of illustrate this is if you look at like the 90 day change in issuance relative to Bitcoin circulating supply, you can basically kind of see these impulses of, you know, how how impactful the halving is. And we can see that over the last uh, few halvings, uh, we've seen that continue to diminish as it has a smaller effect relative to overall circulating supply. I think uh, one way that that's uh, you know, uh, an interesting framework to think about this is, you know, if, if you're kind of sitting in a, a bathtub and, you know, you you push your hand down or drop a rock or something in, in, in the bathtub, has a, it has a pretty large ripple effect and it's going to you know, displace water across the entire bathtub. You're in a lake and do that. Maybe it'll you know ripple out 10 feet. You go in the ocean and do that. It's, it's not even going to have an impact at all. And so I think over time, 
Um, you know, the halvings are going to have a, a continued, uh, you know, diminished effect on the overall market. Uh, but on, on the flip side of that, I do think uh, what's really interesting and, and is, uh, you know, strong narrative for kind of the market to get behind uh, is Bitcoin stock to flow ratio will be higher than gold uh, after this upcoming halving. And so, you know, although we know that Bitcoin is superior to gold in many ways, portability, uh, you know, transportability, uh, divisibility, verifiability, uh, you know, provable scarcity, all these types of things. Uh, it will be on a stock to flow uh, ratio basis more scarce than gold, which is you know a very very uh, you know quantifiable metric that you can kind of use as a talking point. Uh, and so I think that in itself is kind of a good meme or, or narrative for the uh, for the market to get behind. Um, and outside of that, I mean, what else kind of drives these cycles? I mean, the, the other clear answer is macro, right? So if you look at you know Bitcoin's kind of correlation to uh, the year over year change in the DXY. Uh, if you look at uh, Lynn Alden's some work at basically comparing Bitcoin to uh, PMIs and basically kind of tracking its its performance relative to the economy, uh, we can see that it tracks those things fairly closely as well. Uh, and then also you just kind of have the uh, I think just kind of natural behavioral dynamics of of uh, of crypto that that are also uh, kind of playing a factor there as well. So I think the reality is it's you know kind of nuanced and a combination of these things. Uh, but as you mentioned, as you'll see in the chart, uh, you know this kind of current uh, performance from from what appears to be the cycle low so far. Uh, is kind of reflecting very similar, uh, you know, kind of signatures to what we've seen in, in previous crypto cycles, uh, solely from kind of a uh, time standpoint. Now, one of the most interesting data points to me is the supply that has not moved in at least 10 years is now higher than the total number of Bitcoin that is on exchanges. Is the Bitcoin that has not moved in 10 years, is that just lost Bitcoin? Or is there a way for us to understand, no, actually, these are just long-term holders who are now, you know, holding on to more Bitcoin than the amount of people who actually have Bitcoin sitting on an exchange? Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, point. Uh, I actually got this uh, chart. I'll give a shout out to this guy, Jimmy, on uh, on uh, Twitter for his last name, but shout out to Jimmy. I think this is really interesting for, for a couple of points, so which you just described. Um, a, it just shows... There's obviously, as you mentioned, a, a large amount of coins that have been lost. Uh, you know, these are these are in, in the chart. We're looking at coins that haven't moved in at least ten years. Uh, so you know, before 2013. Uh, so there's probably a fair portion of that that's frankly lost. And the other piece is, of course, you know, just seeing a, a massive amount of belief uh, from individuals by looking across not just the amount of supply that hasn't moved in at least ten years, uh, but when we look at the amount of supply that hasn't moved in at least a year, uh, we look at long-term holder supply. Uh, long-term holder supply just reached an all-time high as a percentage of overall circulating supply. When we look at it just outright, it's just the number of, of coins held by long-term holders that always just goes up only. But when you look at it, more importantly, as a percentage of overall circulating supply, uh, that just crossed an all-time high of over 76%. Uh, so in other words, you know, over three out of every four BTC are held by long-term holders at the moment, which is, is pretty incredible. Uh, you know, of course, higher prices will incentivize, you know, new sellers, but for the time being, uh, Bitcoin's being pretty tightly held. And uh, yeah, I think the, the metric that we have up on the screen with with kind of the, the amount of supply that hasn't moved in at least 10 years relative to the amount of supply on exchanges is is just another reflection of that. So I think, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's over 600,000 more BTC haven't moved in at least 10 years uh, than around exchanges. So basically, you know, uh, over 600,000 more BTC are locked up presumably a fair portion are, are lost and you know out of circulation forever relative to the amount of, of supply that's currently on exchanges that's available to be bought today. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is this MVRVZ score. You and I have been talking about this for years. Uh, there's basically this red zone, which seems to be where uh, you know the, the tops of bull markets hit. And then there are these green zones, which seem to be the bottoms of uh, the bear markets. Uh, during this bear market, it seems like 
you know, this exact same uh, trend played out and, and we got into that green zone. We went sideways for a little bit. We're now out of it. Describe a little bit about MVRV Z-score and, and kind of how you use this to evaluate Bitcoin. Yeah, so I think uh, just to kind of state, uh, take a step back, you know, one of the really interesting things that, uh, you know, kind of the transparency of, of Bitcoin's blockchain enables is we're able to kind of analyze uh, the market in ways that are potentially, you know, possible with with kind of traditional equities or, or other assets. And the reason, of course, for that, again, is it's completely transparent so we can see all the transactions. Uh, and there's been a ton of different, you know, kind of interesting variations of what you can do with that ability. Uh, but one of the most, most interesting variations, which is now been around for about five years now and still in my opinion is is arguably the the kind of best valuation uh, metric from a crypto native standpoint for for btc is this mvrv ratio so we'll kind of break it down exactly uh you know what is what does the acronym stand for and, and and what does it mean um it's based on this uh, uh metric called um, realized price so realized price is essentially the aggregated cost basis of the network uh the way this is done is by looking at the last price that every every single coin last moved uh, and then you're able to divide that by circulating supply and essentially get this, this aggregated cost basis. Uh, and so when you compare that to what the current marginal trading price is, of course, you know, again, price is, is set on the margin, right? So it's, you know, whatever, you know, buyers and sellers are, are transacting at today, not necessarily a reflection of what every person on the planet, you know, feels like the value for BTC is at. Um, when we compare that marginal uh, current trading price to that realized price, uh, we get this MVRV ratio. So it's market value relative to realized value. Uh, and so uh, the kind of conclusions you're able to come come to uh, with by using this uh, are basically in the bull market, whenever uh, you know you, you see this ratio get very high approaching that red zone that you described, uh, fundamentally what's that saying? It's saying that uh, the kind of current marginal trading price is trading at a high multiple to that aggregated cost basis. And so by definition, market participants are largely sitting in a large amount of unrealized profit and so have a high incentive to want to sell. Uh, and then conversely, heading back into the bear market, uh, whenever we get into the kind of the, the green zone that you described, and this is something that we use in the back half of the year, uh, kind of called out basically, you know, unless these these metrics are broken, uh, this is this is likely, you know, somewhat of a, a bottom here. Um, essentially what this is showing is that uh, the current marginal trading price is below that aggregated cost basis. So the inverse is by definition, uh, the market is underwater in aggregate or, or kind of they're they're in a state of, of unrealized uh, losses. Um, so, you know, you can kind of use that to say, generally, you, you kind of want to purchase assets whenever, you know, the market's underwater, experience a ton, a ton of pain and there's forced selling, et cetera. And so this is just kind of one way to kind of, to kind of look at that. Uh, and so I think, you know, how do you kind of apply this today? I think, you know, it's perhaps not super actionable at the moment, but I think like the one conclusion that you can take, I think, you know, this is best used kind of on the extremities of, of the valuation uh, kind of, you know, spectrum on, on, the, on the chart, but uh, which you can kind of come to a conclusion of today is that Bitcoin is still largely, uh, you know, kind of quote unquote underheated or, you know, paper, maybe perhaps isn't kind of the state of like very, very, uh, you know, deep value. Uh, but still is very far from kind of overheated, uh, which is achieved whenever we see those, you know, very high multiples relative to the aggregated cost basis. Now, obviously, as Bitcoin has risen, there's been quite a bit of excitement and, and people kind of uh, realize, hey, maybe this isn't going away. How do you see the next 12 months or 18 months playing out in terms of having uh, coming up? Obviously, there's national debt. There, there's a bunch of these issues that are all coming together, just like Given the information we have today, looking out over the next you know eighteen months or so, what, what is your expectation, or what are you looking for? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things is um, I track closely on on Velo Data, which uh, is one of my favorite data providers, um, essentially the, the kind of TradFire uh, CME based data around Bitcoin. 
Um, primarily, these are more traditional financial institutions that trade on the CME, which is why I think it's interesting to look at relative to, you know, a Binance or a Huobi or an FTX or whoever. Um, and when we look at kind of the CME uh, futures activity, what we've seen over the last couple of days is this massive influx in activity, uh, both on open interest for, for CME futures, which reflects the amount of contracts that are open, as well as volume uh, reaching by far uh, the highest that it ever did on a single day throughout the entire year at over $6 billion. Uh, the second kind of highest day throughout the entirety of 2023 was just over $4 billion. Uh, so you're clearly seeing kind of interest from more of these kind of traditional financial institutions. I think this has also kind of been uh, reflected in looking at basically the uh, the percentage of overall open interest. So if we look at like the open interest across all the different uh, you know futures exchanges, um, all the crypto natives as well as as CME, you see that CME futures open uh, interest has now reached an all time high out of the overall uh, open interest across all the venues for for BTC. I think it's at twenty six percent, twenty five or twenty six percent. So obviously a fourth. Uh, so I think this is interesting. Again, same thing I, I just described, just looking at volume out, right? Um, the percentage of, of, of open interest uh, derived from the CME reaching an all-time high basically you know, kind of signals to me that you're seeing on a relative basis more of these kind of traditional financial institution uh, kind of players kind of dipping their toes in the water. And so I think you know, over the next 12 to 60 months to answer your question, you pair that with, with kind of you know, the ETF to, to onboard people. Uh, you know, I think this kind of alludes to this idea that the the kind of makeup of market participants in crypto is probably, or at least in, in Bitcoin, uh, is is probably going to look uh, pretty different over the next uh, you know one to two years and, and beyond. That makes a lot of sense. Tell us about reflexivity and kind of what you guys are doing there uh, before I let you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, feel free to check us out at reflexivityresearch.com. Uh, we do a ton of different deep dive work in, in crypto. Uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 page kind of deep fundamental research on various different crypto protocols, uh, macro events, as well as, of course, uh, dynamics going around Bitcoin. We just did a Bitcoin Q3 overview uh, last week. Some of the information that, that we pulled uh, for today comes from that as well. So be sure to check that out. And uh, I think there's there's 20, 25 kind of free reports that we now have on, uh, on, the, on the homepage of the website that you kind of sit there and check us out. Awesome. I appreciate the time to do this. I always learn something every single time we talk, my friend. Uh, we'll definitely do it again in the future. Thanks, Ben.